I don't know about you, but I think we are very blessed with musicians and singers here, aren't we? Very blessed, and thank them. Thank you so much for serving the Lord and blessing us with the music. Uh, take your Bibles tonight on our Sunday night study. We're in the book of Psalms, 124, the 124th Psalm. You'll be turning there in your Bible or your electronic device or whatever it is uh, you're using there. This uh, Psalm is short. Uh, it's very short. But I think we can stretch it out a little bit. What do you think? I mean, make it last a little longer. We, we, we can stretch it out a little bit. It is a, it is a psalm of uh, recounting great deliverance by God. In other words, David in this psalm is recounting uh, God's faithfulness in dire circumstances. Uh, I'm sure we can all relate to that. If we've lived long enough, there have been times in life that seem particularly scary or dangerous or fearful, and God's faithful. He's always faithful. David even goes on to say here that God is on our side. That's a comfort, that God's on our side. I was thinking, it doesn't tell us here in this passage any particular event. It doesn't tell us what it is, but I was thinking through David's life, and I thought of a few, and we'll talk about them in more detail in just a moment. Uh, when David was just a young fellow, he was tasked with watching his daddy's sheep, right? He was a shepherd. And we find out later that while David was watching his dad's sheep, that he had the unfortunate experience of a bear and a lion who came to eat the sheep. And he, with his sling, killed or slew a bear and a lion. I, I wouldn't really worry too much about meeting a lion or a bear if I was well-armed, but I'm not sure a sling counts for that. You know, that's being well-armed. So David was rescued, if you will, preserved by God. Then I thought <clears throat> David uh, showed up one day to bring his brothers some food. His dad had sent him there, and they were in, at war with the Philistines. And, of course, you know the story. The, the Philistine uh, champion, Goliath, uh, would go down in the valley every day and challenge Israel to send out their champion. And uh, David looked around, being the young whippersnapper that he was, and says, how come somebody don't go out there and kill that guy? And, of course, all the soldiers said, did you see how big he is? And uh, I'm not going out there. And so David went out with that same sling, and uh, God delivered Goliath into his hands. And then, you know, there came a time when David uh, was picked by God to be the next king to replace Saul. And Saul found out about it, and Saul decided to try to kill David so that that couldn't happen. And you know the whole story there. For a number of years, Saul chased David around in the wilderness trying to kill him and his 600 men. Uh, David could have been talking about God being on his side in that event. Uh, then there were, even after David became the king, there were the numerous wars uh, that he fought with the Philistines and nations around. And you know, anytime uh, they would go into combat, David would most of the time be with the army, so God preserved him through that. And then there was the time God preserved him in his own personal failure. David committed adultery and had a man killed. And uh, God forgave him and preserved his life when he deserved death for having committed those sins. Um, and then even later in his life, there was civil war. His son Absalom tried to kill him and ran him out of the capital. And God preserved David's life and restored him back to the throne. So it could have been any of those uh, events that David's writing about here. Uh, and I'll pick a couple to talk about in a little more detail in just a moment. Let's look at what David said in the first five verses there in Psalm 124. He said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say now, or now say, 
if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Uh, then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Now what David's saying there is he's saying in this instance of extreme danger or stress or peril, um, God was on their side. And he's saying to Israel, we need to give God praise for had it not been for God who intervened at the right time and in the right way, we would have perished. Had it not been for God who, who stepped in at the right moment, we would have perished. I've shared this with you before. I am of the persuasion as I read the Bible that there are many instances throughout our lives where God preserves us and we don't even know it. Where God steps in in the moment or God intervenes in a moment or God uh, moves for us on our behalf and we're not even aware of it. And we could say the same thing as David, you know, were it not for God being on our side, we wouldn't be here. Were it not for God uh, being for us, we, we might not even be here. We would perish. It would overwhelm us. And then, of course, there are certainly those times when we're aware that God is on our side and that God preserves us in a, in a very difficult situation. Uh, there are many times I look back in my life. I remember when I was a little fellow, I was probably in the third grade or the fourth grade, uh, I wound up in the deep end of a pool and I didn't know how to swim. Those things usually don't turn out well. And uh, if you ever have ever had that feeling before you learn how to swim of sinking in the water and not really knowing what to do, it's a pretty scary feeling. Uh, but God was faithful and there was a lady nearby and she grabbed a float and threw it in and I climbed up on the thing and all was well. And uh, The very next summer I took swimming lessons, find how that works, and uh, I learned how to swim. But I think our lives are full of those kinds of events where, where God stepped in, and, and I could certainly share many of them with you tonight. And I was thinking about David. Think about just a few of those situations, perhaps, in David's life. I don't know what it would have been like to be out in the, in the field, and the shepherds were tasked with watching the sheep all night if they didn't bring them in and put them in the, in the pen. And David could have been out there when the bear and the lion comes, and, and I don't know... Again, David didn't give a lot of detail, but you, you wonder, as a young fella, he's the youngest of all of his brothers, <clears throat> and he sees the bear, he sees the lion, you know, what are his thoughts? You know, maybe his first thought is, Dad won't miss one sheep. I don't, you know, maybe that's what he's thinking. Or, uh, or yeah, Dad will miss a sheep, and he'll know something got it. And, you know, did he, you know, and David was a man of prayer, and I'm sure he prayed and said, Lord, I got to defend the dad's sheep and the flock here. And he takes a sling and he kills those animals, certainly dangerous. And then I was thinking about Goliath, probably one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. Uh, David goes out there to bring his brothers the food and he says, why don't somebody kill that guy? Nobody wants to fight him. And so David volunteers and he says, well, you know, we'll go, I'll go out there and fight that guy. I want to read you in 1 Samuel 17, the conversation between David and Goliath when he goes out there, and it gives you some inkling of David's trust in the Lord. Listen to what he said, 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? You show up in this nine-foot guy, you know, 10-foot, 11, whatever big he is, with a shield and an armor bearer and a spear, and he goes, come on over here, and I'm going to feed you to the animals. Now, David, not deterred, not shaken, not afraid. Listen to what he says. Then David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. Man, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? He said, you come to me with all that stuff? He said, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, listen, whom you defied. David had it all figured out, didn't he? He said, well, you come with all that military stuff. I'm coming in the name of the God whom you've been blaspheming and whom you defied. Now listen to what David said. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Notice David didn't say, I'm going to kill you or chop your head off or, you know, come on. No, David said, today, today, God's going to deliver you. Is that not what David's saying in Psalm 24? God is on our side. Had God not been on our side, we wouldn't have any hope. If God was not on David's side, he had no hope of killing Goliath. Goliath, I mean, the odds were against him, right? But he says, hey, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the, your carcass, the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Listen, here's why. That all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Then he goes on to say, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not have or save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. That, that is the perspective of a man or woman of God when they go out into life. That's the perspective that you have when you face those difficulties and those trials. And, and just like David, you say, man, the Lord is on our side and the Lord will help us. And I want to encourage you tonight. Listen. Life can be difficult. Certainly times right now are uncertain, aren't they? I mean, you look at the news and you, you hear all kinds of stuff and, and it just seems to get worse, doesn't it? I mean, just every day. Uh, I told you, I, I, don't, I stopped watching the news other than to get the local weather and, and see if there's going to be traffic in the morning or something like that. But I don't, I don't sit and watch the news because, uh, well, for many reasons. I won't tell you all of them, but I don't sit and watch the news. But, but listen. I don't, I'm not worried about it, and I don't freak out about the, the election and what's going to happen because there's a God in heaven who is sovereign over all things, and I know who I belong to, and I know who owns the church, and I know who the church belongs to, and I know who the world belongs to. And listen, God is sovereign, and nothing is going to happen in this world that misses his view. In fact, God is not caught by surprise by anything that goes on in this world. He's moving human events to the conclusion that he's already determined. And so like David, when I see, uh, let me hire, when I see nonsense, that's pretty nice, isn't it? When I see nonsense and I see foolishness and I see, and I see lostness being portrayed out in life, God's got it under control. He don't need me to try to fix it. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray that we don't ask God to intervene and we don't pray for those things that need to be prayed for. But I'm certainly not losing any sleep over it, if you understand what I'm saying. And that is exactly what David's saying right here. He says to all Israel, listen, we should, we should praise God because he, is, he has intervened for us. We should praise God because when, when we needed it, he stood in the gap for us. He delivered us. He, he, when the odds were against us, he's the one who stepped in and, and gave us the victory. And, he, and David clearly says, if it had not been for God doing that, we'd all be undone. We, we would have no hope. And I'm sharing with you that God does that for us today. Now listen, the greatest, the greatest deliverance the world knows today from God is, is the redemption by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater, no greater deliverance that God has provided for the world than the fact that we can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. You see, listen. 
in the same analogy that David is, is describing here. Before you and I were saved, the Bible says we were hopelessly lost in our sin. Hopeless, helpless, unable to help ourselves. The Bible says that not only were we hopeless and helpless, but that we were trapped, that we were ensnared and that sin had us enslaved and that our whole life was wrapped up in the flesh. And really, really a lack of understanding about God and ignorance about spiritual things. But it, when we were in that condition, what did God do for us? He had a plan from eternity past to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross, to pay for our sin, to make a way for us to be saved. And on each and every individual life of a born-again child of God, at some point in your spiritual darkness, God broke into your life. Unexpectedly, you weren't looking for him, and God broke into your life. Man, that's deliverance. That's deliverance. And, and certainly we could say like David in this passage, had God not been for us in that he broke into our lives, the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin, opened our minds so that we could understand the truth, we would have never gotten saved. We would have never come to Jesus because lost people don't walk around looking for Jesus. I assure you that. God's looking for us. And so, man, what I'm saying is when you read this and when I read this this week, I'm thinking... How much, how much larger is this than just God delivering us from some little event in life? This is eternal. God, listen, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved. That's God's desire. In fact, in, in 1 John chapter 2, somewhere around verses 4, somewhere there, you can find it. John said to the church, he said, listen, Jesus is not only the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means a sacrifice, that, that sacrifice that satisfies the punishment, the wrath of God. He said to the church, not only is Jesus the propitiation for our sin, but for the sin of the whole world. Jesus came and paid for the sin of the whole world so that anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Man, that's deliverance. That's God stepping in, uh, in the gap, if you will, to make a way for us. Now, David kind of gives, a, he alludes to something here. He says, when, when men rose up against us, he kind of describes a little bit of the danger. He says, look, the danger involved men who rose up against us. Now, again, it would fit any of those circumstances that we described other than the lion and the bear probably, but war or any time, any of these people that rose up against him. And when David includes a nation, he means I'm God's king that appointed me. And if I die and the nation falls apart, so the attack is on all of us. And God preserved us. Now, think about this. When men rose up against us, I don't think we have to look far to see in life that the wrath of men, the wrath of man in general, men and women, can be cruel. It can be, uh, it can be unreasonable. In fact, it can, it, the rage of man can be, can be dangerous when people are angry. Um, people do unreasonable things when they lose control of themselves, when their anger it, it reaches a point where, where they can't control themselves. In fact, in James 1.20, the Bible says, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God, meaning when men and women are angry and their emotions rule them, they don't make good decisions. And probably of everything I see in society today, of people's differences of opinions, which there's hardly ever going to be a time when everybody's going to see everything the same, particularly because the world's lost. And they don't, have a, they don't have a reference point. 
don't have a worldview. They don't, have, they don't even have a point to really figure out what is truth because they're lost. But they're not going to agree. But wrath, when emotions take over, it becomes, it becomes even worse. And that's what David said. He said, men rose up against us. They rose up in, against us in anger, in emotions. Uh, I was watching a, a video not long ago. And here's, here's an error. Here's, a, I would say, sin on both parts. There was a guy who, who was preaching the gospel, and there were people on the street who were attacking him, okay, verbally. He could hardly speak, and they were attacking him. And he had a shirt on that said Jesus, and he's, you know, he's doing his thing, which I thought was pretty cool. But his problem, the Christian's problem was he was angry. He was, he was yelling, yelling, and he was, he was not being, well, he wasn't demonstrating a whole lot of love of Jesus. Can I put it that way? Okay. He was angry. The thing he was angry about, you could probably justifiably be bothered by it if you're a Christian. But what he failed to remember, what he failed to keep in mind was lost people don't know any better. That, you know, you could, you could say to a lost person, look, God said this thing, whatever it is, abortion, you know, living with your girlfriend, whatever, it's a sin. For a lost person, they go, oh, so what? Big deal, okay? We don't need to deal with the symptom of the problem. We need to call it out, but we don't need to deal with it. Well, what will fix the problem? The problem will get fixed if the person gets saved. So we have to show them the love of Jesus and give them the gospel and 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 encourage them to come to Christ. And when Jesus saves them, guess what will happen? God will change them on the inside, and then all the stuff they do on the outside will start to be conformed to the image of Christ. See? So this guy is, and, and I'm watching it, man, he's, he's laying it on them now. He's giving them the gospel. I give him that. But he's laying it on with a baseball bat. He's not, he's, he's not laying it on with, uh, you know, with the Jesus loves you. And, 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 and so he was wrong in that. And what I'm making the point about is the emotion. He had allowed, as a Christian, he had allowed his emotions to, con to take control of the situation, which he should not do, okay? He, he, listen, Jesus is our example. Even when Jesus was angry, he didn't act crazy, right? I mean, he dealt, he, he, he dealt with the facts. Now, by him being out of control, we'll just call him out of control, the out of control Christian. Ever seen any of them? The out of control Christian. Because the Christian was out of control a little bit, because his emotions were up there, the lost people's emotions were twi or twice that, right? Theirs like goes off the scale. And uh, one, of the, one of the young people that was there, really, you could tell, was angry at this guy for preaching the gospel. You could see him posturing himself to take a, take a shot at the Christian, right? You could see him getting himself ready. And he was trying to convince himself to do it. You can watch him in the video. He's kind of, you know. Well, next to the preacher guy who's animated is a big guy who I think is like his bodyguard. So if the Christian was going to be out of control, he was smart enough to bring somebody with him that was really big. And so the big guy is standing there, right? And the kid who's really mad about him preaching the gospel finally takes a swing. And the big guy reaches out and catches his fist in midair. Bink. And he looked at him and goes. <laughs> That's all he did. He just went like that. 
So the big guy was in better control than the little guy who was doing the preaching. I told you that kind of funny story to say this. When James said that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, it applies to us too, okay? It applies to us. When we're angry and, we're, and, our, and our emotions have control of us, we're not going to do things that honor God. We're going to say things that don't honor God. We're going we're gonna to do things that don't honor God. So listen, David said, when these men rose up against us, um, they were angry and they hated us. Now, emotion in the world, the Holy Spirit <clears throat> will help Christians control their human nature and, and, the, and the way that our emotions can get away from us. If, we're, if our minds are being renewed in the Word of God and we're trusting God and we have a prayer, we're a whole lot less likely to go crazy in our emotions than a lost person who that's the only way to know how to express themselves. And David says here that these men who, got, who, were, who were angry with us, they were really coming after us because they were angry. And they were really coming after us because what we were saying made them mad and what we did made them mad. Uh, we should be prepared for that as Christians because, listen, that whole scenario is going to increase as it gets closer for time for Jesus to come. When we say the truth, it's going to so offend lost people that they're going to come after us. Now, they may come after us physically. They may come after us uh, legally through the court system. They may come after us financially in any number of ways, but it's going to happen. Uh, David said if God had not intervened, the anger of these men, they would have destroyed us. They would have overwhelmed us like a flood. The water would have flown over us, and we would have had no hope of surviving, but God intervened and helped us. Um, and we see the example of that even today. I've used this example the last two weeks. John MacArthur and a lot of the churches in California are under court order not to have church. Court order. Well, of course, MacArthur and those guys, they're having church. I mean, they're, they're meeting and they're having church. And I have this sneaking feeling that the court's not going to let that slide. I mean, they're just not going to, they're, they're not going to just wink at that and not do anything. So I think my opinion is the courts are trying to figure out what to do without actually looking like they're persecuting the church. That's what I, that's what I think they're trying to figure out how to do. But it's going to increase as time goes on. David simply says this, when those things happen, God's on our side and it's okay. Don't get shook about it. God will step in. Now, let me touch on something that uh, I get I get questions sometimes on the, and I just recently did, uh, just answered someone who asked some of these questions. And the Ask the Pastor on the website, people send me emails and questions about things, and I just answered one. What do you do as a Christian when it looks like evil's winning? You know, like David's going, wow, these they're about to overflow us, and, and it's bad, and if God didn't step in, you know, if God had not stepped in, we would be undone. Well, what do you do as a Christian when it looks like evil is not being halted. What do you do as a Christian? How do you deal with it when it looks like evil is actually winning and we're losing? Well, let me give you a couple of things to think about. Uh, number one, wickedness is in the world because man brought it here. All right, We did it. Adam did it. We did it. And it's here. God's not the author of sin. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 says, let not a man, when he's tempted, think that he's being tempted of God, for God doesn't tempt anybody with sin. God can't be tempted with sin, and God's not the author of evil, okay? But here's what God does do. This is cool. In his sovereignty, sin and evil is not what he did. 
Matter of fact, he created the universe perfect, sinless. Adam came along, Satan deceived Eve. Adam decided to disobey God, so sin comes into the world. God is big enough and sovereign enough to control the evil that runs around in the world right now. He didn't start it. He don't like it. Matter of fact, sin offends him. But he often uses the wickedness of men to bring about his purposes. That's how big God is. I don't know what you think, but I think that's pretty cool. God can use what wicked men and women do, thinking that they're doing their thing to bring about his thing. All right? I give you an illustration in the Old Testament. Israel had sinned against God, and they had rebelled against God, and, and God kept warning them, right? Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets going to them, and they wouldn't listen. And so the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. is taken away by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians come to power, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and the prophet said, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, and if you don't repent, he's going to destroy Jerusalem and take you all away captive for 70 years. Well, they didn't repent, and so Nebuchadnezzar, who was a, a pure-out dictator, shows up with his army and destroys Jerusalem. Now, as, as, a, as a person who belongs to God, a Jew in the kingdom of Israel, or even a Christian, you go, wow, God allowed this pagan army with these wicked idolaters to destroy his own people. Well, they didn't destroy them, number one. They whooped the daylights out of them. They chastened them. It was God's chastening. God used Nebuchadnezzar to chasten his people and took them into captivity for 70 years. But 70 years later, God moved another pagan king in the Persian Empire to let them go back. And guess what? When they went back from 70 years of captivity, guess what? They never had a problem with it again. No more idolatry, okay? They had a lot of other problems, but they didn't get involved in idolatry anymore because you know what they thought? You know, the last time we did that, we got whooped, so I'm not doing it. Kind of same thing happens with your kids when you discipline them. You know, they go, well, when I disobeyed, that was painful. Don't think I'll do that anymore, okay? Listen, God takes them to the woodshed. And so, listen, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's conquering the world, right? He, th he thinks he's out, you know, being a dictator and conquering the world, and God's using him like a puppet. God moves him over there. And later, by the way, God doesn't let evil get by. He punished Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed the Babylonian Empire for their sinfulness and their wickedness, just like he did the Assyrians and just like he did the Persians and just like he did the Greeks and just like he did the Romans. So God just moves all that wickedness around even though he's not the author of it. And so like David here, we can say even when wickedness seems to be uh, winning, it's not winning. It's doing exactly what God's allowing it to do. And we'll see the epitome of that of what we learned on Sunday mornings about the Antichrist in the tribulation. He's going to have three and a half years. It's going to look like he's totally in control. Right up until the point, the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus shows up with the army of heaven, and it's all over. And Jesus brings in his kingdom and sets up his kingdom. I'll give you another reason God allows sometimes evil to look like it's winning. Why would God allow this to happen to David and his people, whatever the thing was? Because when we go through a difficult time in life, it grows our faith every single time. I don't care what difficulty you go through in life, it will grow your faith. Why? Because when you reach that point of, I can't help myself, and I really need God, that grows your faith. Because when you trust God and he helps you, the next time you're in trouble, what do you know? Well, last time this happened, I went and asked God and he helped me. Last time this happened, God walked me through this thing. So it grows our faith. And I'll give you one more. 
whenever God allows evil to reach a point that it looks like nobody can stop them and then God stops them, who gets all the glory? God. See, God does, not man. When David went out to fight Goliath, David tried to, you know, they tried to put Saul's armor all over him and David said, man, I can't wear this stuff. Man, I don't fight in this stuff. He goes out there and what God gave him and God gave him the victory. So David said, Lord, if it hadn't been for you, we would be undone. Now, let me, let me finish up with the last part of the praise here in verses 6 to 8. Look at it. He said, Blessed be the Lord has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of a fowler's. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He kind of speaks to the severity of the danger here. He uses the analogy in verse 6 of, of prey being in the teeth of, the, of, of a of a, of a wild animal, you know, again, a lion or a bear. He said, Lord, we were, they had us and they had us in their mouth and they were about to crush us and you showed up in the nick of time and you delivered us. God, we were in incredible danger and you showed up in the nick of time when it didn't look like we had a chance and you saved us. Let me, let me give you one more illustration from David's life and I won't take time to read the passage. In 1 Samuel 23, you go home and read it. David's running from Saul. He's got 600 men, and they're running around in the wilderness. And some of the people sent, sent a, a text message to Saul and said, hey, we just saw David go by. And so Saul texts back and said, I'll be right there. He didn't text him. So, so Saul shows up, right? He shows up with his army. And, and it got so, they had David encircled. They had him on one side of a mountain, and they're going around the other side, and he's trapped. David and his 600 men are trapped. Saul has a whole army, and it looks like David's about to get killed because Saul has them. There's no way he can get away. They're trapped. And at the very time when it looks like Saul's closing in, a messenger comes and says to Saul, the Philistines just attacked. You got to come quick and defend the country. And Saul had to leave David when he had him trapped and had to go fight the Philistines. Now, who do you think sent the Philistines to attack Israel at just the right time when they just about got David and they're going to kill him? God did. So David said, Lord, it was like we were in the teeth of the animal and we're about to be crushed and you showed up and you helped us. And then he uses a second analogy and we'll be closing in a moment. Listen, he said, God, it's like we were trapped in a bird's snare. Now, I don't know what you know about a bird's snare, but there's little nets that they catch birds in. Uh, they put something down or they put them up and where the bird flies and he flies into it and he gets tangled up in the thing. And the more he struggles to get out of it, the more entangled he gets, the more, the more wrapped up he gets in the net. And David said, Lord, it's like that. We, we got trapped in this net, and the more we tried to get out of it, we couldn't get out of it. And you came, and you broke the, the snare, and you let us free. You let us fly out of there. Boy, isn't that a great picture of what God does to us when he delivers us? All trapped in the snare. And then the last couple of things I would point out, and we'll close. That, that little bird snare is a great example a great analogy, metaphor, if you will, of how sin works in our lives. Satan, Satan is a master of setting them little traps, isn't he? He sets some little traps and he puts some bait out there and sin looks so attractive and we allow it or we play in it a little bit or we indulge it and we allow it in our lives. And here's what happens. Before you know it, that sin gets you trapped and now you're caught. And the more you're trying to struggle and get out of it, the worse it gets. And so David's saying, God's the one who sets us free from that sin. And I'll tell you another warning. Be careful. Set boundaries in your life. Set boundaries in your life. Set borders so that you don't 
go out there and get snared in the sin. Set borders, set accountability. Because you know what sin will do in our lives as Christians? Sin can never take away your salvation. But let me tell you what it'll do to your life. It'll destroy and hinder your testimony for Jesus Christ. It takes a lifetime to build a testimony for Jesus, doesn't it? It takes about 10 seconds to ruin it or less. Matter of fact, we can just open our mouths and ruin most of it, right? So it probably takes less than that. You know what else sin will do? Sin will hinder your prayer life. The effectual, fervent prayer of a what? A righteous man avails much. Not one playing in sin, not one who's living a carnal lifestyle. The effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You want to have an effective prayer life? Walk with Jesus. You want to have an effective prayer life? Be a man or woman of integrity before God. Be pure on the inside. If you're pure on the inside, you'll be pure on the outside. And then finally, our fellowship with God. Now, our relationship with God is secured in Jesus Christ. You can never lose your relationship with God. But sin will break the fellowship. It'll make a Christian miserable in life. So listen, let me close with this. God is the only deliverer there is that will deliver us from the things in life we need to be delivered from. And it starts with sin. It starts with being saved. It starts with knowing Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save us. There is, listen, there is no other way in life to be forgiven of sin than by faith in Jesus Christ. There's just not. There's 4,000 plus religions out there, which means that all of them are wrong, but one. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. Now, you either believe him or you don't. I would encourage you to believe him because he's right. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Do you need to be delivered from something in your life tonight? Do you need to be saved? That's your greatest need. Maybe as a Christian, you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe there's a difficulty, a sickness, a family matter. I don't know. Relationship matter. God's your answer. God's the one who can help you. Jesus Christ is the one who can come along and walk with you. Now, that's no promise that God's just going to make your life all rosy and everything's going to be just hunky-dory and be all nice. But I can tell you this, if you walk with Jesus, he'll walk with you through the difficulty. And when Jesus walks with you through the difficulty, that's a whole lot different than walking through it by yourself. He's the deliverer, okay? He's the one. If you need Jesus tonight, if you're not sure you're saved, would you pray and invite him to save you right now? Sitting right there in that seat. You say, Pastor, you say that all the time. Does it work? Oh, yeah, it works. I've had people come to me the next week, come to my office. Can I see you? Yeah. They come in and they go, well, what you want me to do next? I'm like, what do you mean what do I want you to do next? They go, well, you said Sunday I could pray and ask Jesus to save me, and I did, and I'm saved now, so what do you want me to do next? It worked. I'm telling you. If you're watching online, somebody will watch this video, hopefully, next week, and then, uh, um, you know, maybe they'll get saved. But if you need Jesus, would you come to him right now? Would you ask him to save you? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are our deliverer. God, thank you that your deliverance of us, your willingness to save us, your willingness to forgive our sin is not based on our worthiness because we're not worthy. God, you didn't give David the victory over Goliath because he was anything special, but he was your man and he stood for your name and he stood for your purpose. God, help us to be men and women that stand for your name, that stand for your purpose, God, that preach the gospel, that live it and not just say it. Maybe there's somebody here tonight under the hearing of your word. 
God, they need to be saved right now. Maybe you're convicting them right now in their own heart, Lord. They know between you and them it's a personal thing. God, they're being convicted right now. Their heart, they feel it. God, help them to respond by faith. Lord, help them right now from the quietness of their seat. Just say, God, there's a lot of things I don't understand about the Bible, and I don't understand about the things that were said tonight, but I know that I'm a sinner. I understand that. I know that I have sinned in my life, and God, that offends you. And I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross to pay for my sin. By all the faith I have, I ask you to forgive me and save my soul right now. God, you'll save anybody who will ask. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.